Continuing in our series on the believer's battle, we started an aspect of um, of uh, the. We've been talking about the wiles of the devil, the devil's schemes, because we were counselled by Paul the apostle when Paul said to us in Ephesians uh, chapter six of Ephesians that having having been speaking and, and um, exhorting the church in Ephesus over several issues relating to their faith and their Christian lives. Paul counsels them, finally, says, finally, in Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I have um, said, we've established from scripture, that the devil's schemes come in very many ways. The devil's schemes is what we need to look out for. And unfortunately, the entire world lies in the arms of the evil one, Satan, the enemy of God. Satan isn't so much our enemy as he is the enemy of God. And the entire world lies in his embrace. Unfortunately, uh, people today, Christians, the people of the world, are lost already. They belong to Satan. They are having a fantastic time with him. They, they, they love each other. And that's why we are told as believers that we should not love the world or anything in the world because everything in the world and all that is got to offer, the love for the world does not come from the Father, but it comes from the world. That means it comes from Satan. And we're told that all the things, all those things of the world will not, will not stand forever. But only the man who does the will of God will stand forever. So we're told to take our hearts off, and this is the greatest. Uh, this is the greatest scheme of of Satan. This is the greatest scheme of Satan, where he he is enticing believers with all things worldly. He's enticing believers with everything in the world. People just love all things worldly. People love all things carnal, and unfortunately, this will not get anyone anywhere in their walk of faith. We are expected to detach ourselves from the world. Now, the wiles of the devil, we have spoken greatly about temptation. And uh, temptation is a very, very grave danger. And we are always surrounded by temptation. You know, the desire to want to do something that's totally out of line with the will of God is temptation. The fact that you want to say something that the, Bible, that the word of God forbids you from saying is temptation. The fact that you want to do something that appeals to your flesh, something that appeals to your eyes, which the Bible tells us, the word of God tells you is improper, is a sin, is evil. But you want to do it. That's temptation. So we're surrounded by temptation all the time and every minute and every second of the day. And that is a thing. This is Satan's territory. The world is Satan's territory. And because it is his territory, he's got everything there to entice us. But this is what we have to be discerning. And that's what Paul the Apostle said, that we've got to be able, we, sh- we need to stand, put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil and his schemes. But the schemes can be so subtle that we won't even notice. The schemes can be so subtle that we don't even notice. you know. And it's all a spiritual assault on us because 
it is not so much. That's why uh, Paul said we do not war against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not about another human being and all that, about, you know, fellow humans fighting against one another. That's not so much the issue. The the evil that men um, carry out, the evil that men do, is a result of their spiritual state of mind. In the same way, those of us who are children of God, whatever good we do is as a result of our spiritual state of mind. It is Christ Jesus living his life through us. So with the unbelievers, it is Satan living his life through them. And so it's a spiritual assault on us. And it all happens, as I said uh, the last time, the battlefield is our minds. Because even Jesus, our Lord, told us, said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything. He also said that it is not what a person consumes. Whatever a person eats or drinks with their mouth, it says that, that goes through the body and comes back out. He said it is what comes out of the body as a result of the, what's happening in the mind of a person. It is what comes out that defiles a person. Because Jesus said that out of the mind and out of the uh, uh, you know out of the mind of a man comes adultery, comes theft, comes uh, lies and deception and bearing false witness and um, sexual immorality, every kind of evil you can imagine is premeditated in the mind. Every kind of evil, you don't just fall into sin. You would have you would have thought about it even if for a second you would have considered what it is you wanted to do and then done it. Or been yeah, or Satan would have told you about it in your mind, you know, you debated it with him and you go ahead and do it. Everything starts out in the mind. And like I said, it can be so subtle. It can be as subtle as unforgiveness. This as the spiritual assault that we face daily in the hands of the enemy. It can be so subtle as unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, let's look at it this way. Um let's look consider second Corinthians two. From verse nine to eleven there. Now Paul's been talking to the church in Corinth about several issues and some you know there being some people amongst them who had sinned um whatever the case may be church discipline had been established and this person had been duly punished by the ordinances you know and everything and then paul writes to them concerning it and we'll take it from verse 9 there and read to 11 and paul says the reason i wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See? It is a scheme of Satan when when we are unforgiven. It is part of his schemes. It is a very there's a very broad spectrum of the schemes of Satan, the wiles of the devil. But we've got to be discerning at every point in time. Now, Paul says, you know, we know. He says, whatever it is we forgive, let's forgive and forget about the whole thing. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. When Satan plants, if he can plant strife, I mean, that's his job. He plants strife everywhere. So if in a church body, somebody has offended... We are supposed to discipline, yes, but we're supposed to restore the person. We cannot just throw them out totally into the arms of the enemy. Expel them from church. Tell them we never want to see them again. We can't have fellowship with them anymore. No, we're pushing them back into the arms of the evil one then. Yes, there has to be discipline. There simply has to be discipline in the house of God. 
But when we carry on forgiveness, and this not just in the church, within the church body, but each of us as individuals, when we nurture forgiveness in our hearts, we are absolutely defying the commands of the Lord. And remember what the Lord said, that we are to forgive. Unconditionally we are to forgive. We have ourselves been forgiven unconditionally. And we are still being forgiven unconditionally. And we will still be forgiven unconditionally. So we are supposed to extend the same grace that we enjoy to our neighbors and to our brothers. And Jesus said, if you do not forgive anyone when they sin against you on earth, your Father in heaven will not forgive you also. And that's the thing, without forgiveness from God, nobody will see God. So a person who is unforgiving has no part in the kingdom of God. So you see how subtle this, the, the schemes of Satan can be? You see how subtle it can be? They tell you, all he's going to do, Satan is going to keep on reminding you of what the person has done. And it will really, really, he will dress up that offense so much and tell you, you have no business forgiving this one. After all, they did it to you four times and you forgave them. If you keep forgiving them, they're going to think you're a fool. So, you know, this time you've got to stand your ground. You have got to stand your ground. It's a matter of principle. Oh, he'll tell you all those things. And you'll try and justify it. And you act on it. Now, the sadness about unforgiveness is this. You're actually the one who is suffering. Because the person you have not forgiven may or may not be aware of it. They may or may not care. But as long as you are nurturing strife and nurturing bitterness and nurturing anger within you, you are not at peace with God. You are not at peace with yourself. It devours you like a cancer. And you're just going to be, eventually, just be an absolutely bitter person. Because you're nurturing this anger and this bitterness and this malice in you all the time. It will reflect on your outward activities and, and your outward appearance. And the way you speak and the way you do things and the way you think. With other people as well. It will. It will reflect on you. So you are the one who is losing everything. But worst of all is that you lose any kind of standing you may have had with God. Because an unforgiving person has not known the Lord. You know, people think Christianity is just as simple as saying Jesus is Lord and off you go and you're merry way and do as a Lord. No, it is a very tough life. And people wanting to know, whoa, I want to know what the will of God for my life is. I want to know what the will of God for my life is. His will is that you live the Christian life. That is a lifelong task as it is. And it's a very, very serious task. It's not easy. As I always say, life of Christianity, Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the faint-hearted. You will suffer. You suffer more than the average person of the world does. Because you're a Christian. That's just the way it is. So there's no point you say, no, I reject it. You can reject it all you want. But if you reject suffering, then you are not a part of Christ. You don't, you don't share in his sufferings. If you don't share in his sufferings, you cannot share in his life. So the kind of teachings that tell you that because you're a Christian, everything's got to be perfect for you, and you should, you know, everything should be easy, and um, and everything is given to you on a silver platter. The heresies, the heresies. Jesus never taught heresies, and he he never even gave us that kind of idea. He didn't suggest for a minute that life is going to be so fantastic now that we're Christians, and the apostles did not suggest the same either. But no, they warn us. That's why Paul issued that warning. All of them did. They all tell us. They all warn us about those things. They all knew about the wiles of the devil. They lived through the same lives. Now they're asking us to live the lives they live. As Paul said. Paul said. He said emulate me even as I emulate Christ. We are supposed to emulate Christ. Our lives as Christians must reflect the life of Christ Jesus. 
Jesus has to live his life through us. We don't live our lives, you know, um, for Jesus in that way. Because we can't. We, we, we simply can't. We're not good enough. We, we don't have the holiness necessary. We don't have the godliness. We don't, we don't even have the truthfulness necessary. But when we leave ourselves for Christ to live his life through us, we're more productive. That's when we can be a fruit in keeping with the Holy Spirit. So you see, you are people trying to be holy, saying, I'm doing this, I'm just doing this for the kingdom of heaven, and I'm doing this for Christ, and I'm doing that for Christ. Don't give yourself any, any credit. Let life, let Christ live his life through you. That'll be more productive. Because of ourselves, we can do no good. Yes, the Bible says that the very best of our righteousness is to fill the rags on the sight of God. That's what God says. So it doesn't matter how nice we are. Anybody can do that. We cannot put on the act of niceness. Particularly in church, we all come in, you know, play holy. But when we're out there, when it's just you and yourself and Christ as the only witness, how do you live as a Christian? Yeah, how do you live when nobody is there? The acts of good that you do in church for everyone to see, you know, all your giving so that everyone can see, all your blessing the pastor with expensive gifts so that everybody can see and you can have the special anointing and pastor can remember you as a person and visit with your family and pour on you special anointing. All those things are futile. They're just a waste of time and a waste of resources on your part. But when you're away from the church and from where your pastor can see you and you come into a homeless or a needy person, when you sit at home and watch television and you see all the starving children in, in the third world being shown, how do you react? What do you do? What steps do you take? When nobody is going to be there to give a special anointing on account of it, or a special mention in church, or a special recognition, or a special seat in the front row in church, how is your Christianity then? So you see, anyone can put off a pretense of being a good Christian in outward appearance. But as Jesus says, it is what comes out of you, the fruit he said, by the fruit you shall know them. We're talking about the false teachers and false Christians, the same thing. By the fruit we bear, we shall be recognized. So the schemes of the devil can be so subtle as unforgiveness. You nurture that malice. But then we have another one. We've got, we've got issues like pride and, and, and arrogance and boastfulness. That's part of the, part of the wiles of the devil. Because every Christian... Is a must be humble. You know why? We've got nothing to boast about. Absolutely nothing to boast about. We've got nothing to boast about because we've been saved by grace. The Bible says we're saved by grace so that no man can boast. It's not by works. So strutting about and looking down on people. Do you know, for 14 years, I was, I belonged to a Christian cult for 14 years. And um, some people who uh, that I knew who tagged themselves as born-again Christians at the time, because they went to charismatic churches where, you know, Pentecostal charismatics, because the one I belonged to was charismatic also, was, you know, and fairly Pentecostal in its um, character also, but it's charismatic anyway. I, I consider them the same, one and the same, Pentecostals, charismatics. But anyway, so, but we were, it was not one, it was known as one of those white garment churches. And um, I knew some people who belonged to Pentecostal churches who were acquaintances, you know, family, friends. And um, what they rather chose to do was separate themselves. Now, yes, we have to separate from ungodliness. However, if you find a person who says they're Christian and they're not living as a Christian ought to, 
what the Bible instructs us to do as those of us who are spiritual, if you do believe you are spiritual, is to correct them. But those people would rather look down on me in those days and, you know, keep away from me and look down on me and snigger at the name of the church I went to or my snigger at my Christianity. They never for one minute actually tried to tell me about the gospel or anything. They were very snobbish and arrogant in their carrying themselves. Well, I'm a born-again Christian. There's nothing I hate more than to see a Christian take one and say, Ooh, I'm born again, I'm a born again. Who wants to know? Who wants to know? That's your business whether you're born again or not. It's to do with your eternity, not mine. If you're born again, if you yeah, if you let yourself be reborn, rebirthed by by the Spirit of God, if you are, indeed, yes, it's good for you. It's to do with you. That isn't going to save me. It's about your salvation. And when we are given this birth, a truly born again person lives for Christ. And they live in humility. They know they've got nothing to boast about because they know that their very lives were shameful before Christ rescued them. They have not come to Christ and said, I accepted Jesus. No, 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 no. They know that they have been accepted and received and called by Christ. It's different. A lot of people today who claim to be ministers of of God are advisors to God. They're not servants. They're advisors. You know, they love it to be called that man of God, great woman of God. Then they're not servants of God. They, they, you know, as far as they're concerned, the Lord serves them. So they command God about and they order Christ around and they order the Holy Spirit about. Holy Spirit, come and do this now and Jesus, do that. What are you talking about? Truly, true servants of God do not do that. We don't see that in the lives of the apostles as we read through the New Testament. Of then commanding God to do that, commanding the Holy Spirit to do that, like the Holy Spirit were a magic portion. You know, they don't. No, they walked in humility, in obeying the Lord. And that is a truly converted life. That's a truly born-again life. It's not about the church you belong to. Your church don't make you born again. And your pastor cannot he cannot declare you born again either. It's not within his um, it's not within his authority to do that because he cannot see your mind. I am hoping that everyone in the in the church I lead is truly born again, but I don't know, do I? I see their outward appearances. Indeed, I thank God I'm able to see the fruit of the of the Holy Spirit in those in whom I see it, and I thank God. But at the end of the day, only God knows those who are truly His. Only the Lord knows. So for people, when they start claiming the stars and saying, yes, I won one million souls. Oh, I, 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 the church I lead is so big. I've won so many souls to Christ last week. And I had this convention and I won a hundred thousand souls to Christ. What foolish boastfulness. What arrogance over nothing. You cannot win any souls. I cannot win any souls. We can only sow the seed. What happens to the seed? The soil it lands on, which is the heart. The type of soil it lands on and what happens with it is up to God. He alone can grant a harvest. I cannot grant a harvest. And you can't either. So there's nothing to boast about. But if you have been saved, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord and thankfully serve him in obedience. But then we have people who are so wrapped up. In what they're doing, in their achievements, that that they just praise themselves for all things, 
and they think they are so spiritual that they can now, all they have to do now is worry about the world. And indeed, that's the teachings they're receiving. Now that you're a child of the kingdom, yeah, you must live the kingdom life. This means everything must abound to you. You must have every material thing you need. Who says that is not the gospel of Christ? That is not it at all. What we actually read about believers in the Bible, New Testament believers, they actually give up everything they had when they became when they became born again. Because they realized all those things they thought had value before, all the things they held onto, all the things they loved, they came to realize that all those things were futile and meaningless and of no use, of no eternal value whatsoever. But when you are arrogant, arrogant about your faith, arrogant about your spirituality, arrogant about this, arrogant about that, and people, I mean, I have people telling me, oh, oh, I pray well, every day when I have my devotion, I pray for three hours and I pray in tongues. And I just think of them and think, oh, boy, you good grief. I said, okay, what, so what does that mean? Why, why, why does it matter to me how long you pray for and, uh, and what you say, what tongues or whatever it is you blast in your prayers? What's it got to do with me? What has that got to do with me? As a matter of fact, I don't spend three hours in devotion. I couldn't. I don't know what I'll be talking about for three whole hours. Because quite honestly, you know, I'll only end up, you know, repeating things over and over and over again then. And Jesus said we shouldn't waste our time blabbing in vain repetition. So really, I don't know. But all those things that people think they're doing, but the Bible says, look, be very careful. Be very careful. We're told that unless, uh, you know, our, our activities, unless everything we do is done by faith, in obedience... Paul issued an, a warning there, actually, when we look at it in First um, First Corinthians chapter ten. Now he's talking to the Corinthian church again. That was a very problematic church, actually, church in, in Corinth. Paul had serious problems with them, and he was saying to the people about the obedience, about the faith, how they were to walk with God in faith, how they were to be obedient to the gospel of Christ, you know, in humility. And um, I can't read all of it, but I'll take it from verse six. I'll take it from verse 6 there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He spoke to them about the the Israelites, the patriarchs, the lives they lived and everything. And he said, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Amazing warning there. Now he tells us, he'd been talking to them about the Israelites and how many of them failed to reach the promised land. And even the ones that reached the promised land did not end their lives. They did not keep on working successfully with God because they were disobedient. They tried God. They indulged in pagan revelry. You are doing, you know, and as such, they were idolaters. Now, modern Christian, the modern Christian today lives exactly that same shameful destructive lifestyle of idolatry because they are doing exactly the same things the pagans are doing they are lost after the same things the pagans are lost after and you don't know it 
Because the preacher tells you that, you, you know, these things are entitlement. You're supposed to be the biggest and brightest. You're supposed to have uncommon blessing. You're supposed to have this. You're supposed to have that. They tell you all those things and you, you, you obey them. You believe them. Instead of believing the written word, which tells you that you are to separate yourself from all things worldly and all the things of the world. But you love the teachings because it encourages your sense of greed. It encourages your selfish ambition. It, 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 it sort of greases your ego. It puts, in a, it puts you on a pedestal on a pedestal that you'd love to have yourself standing on. Telling you how blessed and highly favored you are. And so why should you settle, you know, why should you settle for the, for, for the least of all things? Why? You, well, why should you just be an employee? You should be the manager. If you're a manager, why? Why? You should be the director. If you're director of the company, no, no, you should be the chairman. And if you are, what, why can't you own your own business? Supposed to go for more, go for more. Yeah, go, go, go for the highest, go for the best. It's your entitlement as a Christian. It is the wiles of the devil. Because whilst you are lusting after all those things, which are exactly the same things the people of the world, the non-believers who do not know God, who are separated from the life of Christ, whilst you are lusting after the very same things, Satan has got you where he wants you. And you know what? There will never come a time when you think, ooh, I've had enough now. There will never come that time. The Bible says very clearly, he who loves money never has money enough. He who loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. He had all the riches and all the wealth. But he said it. And it's a thing. there's never going to be a time when you're going to think, okay, yeah, I've achieved this. That is good enough now. That's good enough. Now let me just spend my time serving the Lord in obedience. It's never going to happen. Because Satan will continue to entice him with more and more and more. He will tell you, you will never have enough. You will never have enough. It's just very simple. We see it around us every day. Look at all the millionaires of the world. Look at all the celebrities. Look at all the stars. Do they ever have enough? No, they don't. They're still everywhere, still wanting more, still coveting more. And so if you, who say you are a Christian, are living exactly the same life, this is exact, that's what Paul said when he told the people of the Corinthians. You, you know, so be careful. The people sat down to eat and drink. He said, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, because they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. And because of that, they were destroyed. The same, the same judgment awaits everybody who still lives like that today, regardless of whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Because if you really belong to Christ, you will separate yourself from the world. That's why Jesus said to us, do not worry. Don't worry about those things. Carnal things, your carnal needs. Don't worry about them. He broke it down. He said, don't worry about what you shall eat, what you shall wear. You know, all those things. He said, don't worry about it. God knows your needs. He said, the pagans run after these things. But you, you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else you need in life, God will give into your hands as and when. But the sense of greed of man will not let man trust God. And then you want to hide under Christianity to fulfill such evil desires. They're evil. If they're against the word of God, they are evil. Yes, so we need to eat and we need to drink and we need to wear clothes. But Jesus said he is aware of our needs. If you really belong to Christ, you will trust his words implicitly. You will trust every word he says. And so you don't worry about it. And that's why the Bible tells us, because of the schemes of the devil. That's why the Bible says to us, look, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you are never grateful enough for what you have. People, well, it's, it's, it's a pathetic thing when Christians 
spend more time lamenting in prayer than praising God for what they've got. All the wonder is complaining about what they haven't got. You're not going to have everything in this world. Not everybody's going to be married. Not everybody's going to have children. Not everybody's going to own a house. Not everybody's going to own lands. Not everybody's going to have gold, jewelry, and all these designer things. Not everybody is going to have perfect health. If anybody does have perfect health, that is, because no matter what it is, there's got to be something wrong somewhere, because these bodies, you see these bodies, they, 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 they only mortal. They're not indestructible. So, not everybody is going to be educated. Not, not, everybody's going, not everybody's going to be everything. But each person should be grateful for whatever circumstance you find yourself. And spend your life for God. Because millionaire and poor alike, if they're both believers, are still going to end up in the presence of God. Well, everybody's going to end up in the presence of God anyway. Believer and unbeliever alike, rich or poor, sick or well. Married or single, with or without children, we're all going to stand before God because it is appointed once for man to die, and once and then after that judgment. So everybody is going to face God. And you see, nobody's going to have a better standing before God because you are rich or poor. Being poor does not make you more spiritual than the one who is rich. So don't misinterpret what Jesus said, blessed are the poor. No, it's not because they shall see the kingdom of God. No, not, that's not the kind of poverty Jesus was talking about. I have done that before, spoken about the t- someone on the mouth and expounded that aspect of scripture. So I'm not going into that now. However, we're not all going to have all things. But the Bible tells us to be grateful for whatever we have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But if you choose not to accept the words of Christ because they are hard. Not many people can stand my preaching because it's hard. But I don't care about that. My loyalty is to the Lord. So whether people want to listen or not is inconsequential. If you listen, it's for your own good because I don't preach my words of my own. All I say, this is what the Lord says. I am bound by everything I preach to because this is the word of God. I live by it. We all have to. If we know we truly belong to him. But if you'd rather accept the teachings of the world which we have on pulpits today and in places that label themselves as churches, teachings that encourage your greed and your lustfulness and your desire for more, bigger and better, teachings that tell you the grass is greener on the other side and you belong on the other side, you'll have yourself to blame because already you stand defeated by the evil one. You are not standing in the battle. You are not even in a battle. You're lying in bed with the evil one. And such a life has not known the Christ. And if you have not known the Christ, you cannot abide with him for eternity.